Hello and welcome to the Form of Fitness podcast, a podcast where I, Nathan Shanes, and my co-host Duncan Bryson will be breaking down the world of fitness into bite-sized pieces of information, such as exercise philosophies, routines, and more. We're glad you're along for the journey. We hope you enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Form of Fitness podcast. I'm joined by Duncan today, and we're going to be talking about how to run right, kind of like how we talked about how to row already, but with a different exercise. So you start. All right. So again, this uh, show idea basically comes from me looking around, especially in like the CrossFit community and being like, you don't know how to run and you don't know how to run. And I really hope you don't think that it's running. Um, and it's just really common for everyone to think that they know how to run when they really don't. Yeah. Um, and I think part of this is because like we walk everywhere and a lot of people just think that running is just fast walking, which isn't isn't the case depending on how fast you're actually moving and yeah. how far you're wanting to go and all these other things. Um, and it's very important that we know how to run because we are really well adapted to run, mm-hmm. especially long distances. Um, we are the fastest land animal on earth for marathon distances. Nothing else can beat us um, when it comes to like running super long distances, which makes sense because we're trying... Like, historically, you know, you're trying to follow the mammoths or you're trying to follow, like, these big animals that are roaming around. And so it would make sense that over time we would get super adapted to just being able to follow them. Yeah, just out-tire them is really, like, what what we were supposed to be good at anyway and still are, you know, built for. Yeah, and the biggest uh, mechanism that allows us to run so well for long distances is we're bipedal. And a lot of people don't think about this as like an advantage to running because you know four-legged animals generally beat us in like a foot race if we're going for like really short distances Mm -hmm. but there's something really efficient in being bipedal and that is you're basically doing a controlled fall yeah um and like not a lot of people understand that initially and even like people who run for a long time if they aren't introduced to this idea they never think of their running as like oh it's just a controlled fall you're yep. leaning forward a little bit, you're letting gravity pull you down, and then you're just providing a little bit of resistance, and that's how you're going forward. Um, yep. And, like, if you don't believe me, you can get up out of your chair or wherever you are right now and run in place. And you'll notice real quick that the way you are running in place is you're picking up your feet, but you're standing straight up. And if you run forward, you immediately have to drop your angle um, a little bit like at your ankles and then that's what's carrying you forward. Right. Um, And so that's basically running. Um, The most efficient running is basically standardized at a five degree tilt. This is based off of, you know, peak um, running speeds for the mile. Um, Usain Bolt basically established how you run and then, the only person that will ever beat Usain Bolt essentially is someone with better genetics who is basically a little bit taller or a little bit leaner and can pack on a little bit more muscle. Something has to change um, genetically there, but basically the most efficient you can get with running is with a five-degree tilt with about a 160 um, s- step cadence and a six-minute, and that'll get you to a six-minute mile. Um, there's very few people that that won't get a six minute mile for. And that would be anyone that's like super low on the height curve just because the shorter you are, 
the more steps you're going to have to take. Yeah. Um, however, if you're average height for a guy, um, probably a bit above average height for a girl, like you'll hit a six minute mile pretty easy with these two um, things in mind. Yeah. And then, you know, we've talked about form. There's another really big aspect of running, which is a big aspect in almost every form of cardio, and that's breathing. <laughs> um, essentially, there's two ways that you can fail with running, and it's either breathing or your legs stop working. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like you remember Billy Mills from our high school days. Yep. Like He was a big runner, uh, coached a lot of like high school teams yep. to – I think states and like pretty far up. Yeah. And he's built like a runner yeah. too. Yeah. And his uh only question that he asks you after a race is were you out of breath or were you tired? <laughs> and that kind of goes back to this whole idea of, you know, you have your breathing and then you have, you know, how well your muscles can perform. And it's a lot easier to fix your breathing than it is to get stronger. Yep. And so why wouldn't you try to work on your breathing? And get that perfect so that all you have left is working on strength. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you think about breathing, uh, it's very important to also think about the distance that you're trying to go. Because a shorter distance requires different breathing. And also, generally, with a shorter distance, you can be a bit more careless. Careless doesn't mean that you get to breathe like you're, you know, running out of breath. Or there's not going to be any more air, you know, left in the world after like 10 seconds. But you do get to breathe harder. You get to breathe um, in and out like a lot quicker. Yep. Just because everything's going to be done. Like if it's in 100 meters, everything's going to be done in like five, six seconds. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to be running like a mile, you know, that's going to take six minutes. You can't breathe like that. You will tire yourself out. You're going to deprive your body of oxygen in the long run. Um. And so it makes a lot more sense that when you start getting into these kind of mid-distance, long-distance um, time frames, go for more of this like in for three seconds, out for three seconds, or in for three steps, out for three steps. That really works and is very helpful for me. And when I see other people in like the CrossFit community where we have to go from, let's say, running to like doing a deadlift or running to a power clean, something where you can't be out of breath when you go up to this thing, this in for three and out for three really works very well in making sure that you have enough breath and you're not depleted of oxygen when it comes to having to move the heavy thing afterwards. Um, yeah. I can say from my running days uh, <laughs> explicitly about breathing. That <laughs> yeah. a, always, a, always a problem, but I also stopped running by the time I was actually full-sized. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also I think that it's important to talk about footwear um, because just like, you know, when you lift heavy things, running and footwear is pretty inextricably linked just because the thing that you put between your feet and the ground is one of the most important parts of you being able to, like, accomplish your feet well. Um, so, like... If you're doing short distances on like a track, you obviously want track spikes. And also understanding how these shoes are developed really helps you understand what form needs to look like, um, where you need to actually be hitting on the ground. And so for your sprints, anything like that, you're going to be using track spikes, especially if you're on a track. If you're not going to be on a track, um, like there are like sprinter shoes, which are 
pretty low support, um, almost like a lifter shoe, except not nearly as stiff. Right. But, um, and so basically that would be anything between like 40 meters and 800 meters. Yeah. Cause you um, really need to dig. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of the purpose. It's good traction. Yeah. And also like you're staying on the balls of your feet. Yep. You're not doing any of this kind of heel to toe motion where you can get full plant and yeah. power. Yeah. And so that is going to help you propel yourself forward. Um, also like being on the balls of your feet, you're going to feel a lot more springy. Um, there's a reason why like almost every athlete in any sport they play, their coach is like, stay on the balls of your feet. Don't be on your heels. If you're on your heels, you have no mobility. It's a very similar thing here. Um, and then also generally athletes who are going like 40 to 800 meters, they are putting a lot more force into the ground. Um, and doing that while you're on the balls of your feet is a lot better for your legs than doing it while your heels are what's on the ground. Um, we will talk more in depth about like shin splints later on in this episode, but generally the way that shin splints developed is through that contact of your heel hitting the ground before anything else. Um, and then for mid distance, for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to say mid distance is like that 800 meter to like 1600 meter, um, run, which is the bulk of like track, um, events that aren't a sprint. Yeah. Um, and like, this makes sense if you're looking at like the best runners, um, Generally, like, your 800 and 1600 meter runs aren't that big of a difference if you just multiply them outright. It's once you start getting above a mile and start going and hitting, like, two miles, three miles, four miles that you really start to see, like, okay, we're going to add some time for fatigue here. Um, And so for these longer distance runs, you're starting to have to more control your breathing. It's really where you start thinking about this. Okay, we're going to take three steps breathing in. We're going to take three steps breathing out. Um, you're also going to probably want to purchase something more like an ASIC or a Nike shoe. Um, I really like my ASICs that I have right now. They're really good running shoes. Um, they're not really – these shoes usually aren't profiled for you to want to run like super heel-to-toe all the time but they're not profiled in such a way that that becomes extremely painful or that that becomes like impractical. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I I wore a, I wore a six when we ran cross country together, but yeah, you probably got some better options on here as far as cross country (laughs) level distances go. Yeah. And um, also like another thing that you can look at if you're wanting to see, okay, am I using this shoe correctly? Um, Take an old worn shoe, and even if all you do is walk in it, you can look at if you're walking correctly doing this. And I learned this from a guy at a shoe store one time. Um, if you look at the bottom of your shoe, the most worn part of your track on your shoe should be right around where the ball of your f- foot is. Um, if it's lower or higher, then that means that you have some type of abnormality <coughs> in the way that you're taking your steps. Yep. But basically, all we do even if we're walking as we're pushing off kind of right there at the ball of your foot. Yep. The way um, I look at that too is like, if I look inside of my older shoes, if you look right where the ball of my foot is, it's worn to hell. Yeah. I probably worn through the pad, which is most likely why I have new shoes as opposed to using those or blown the sides out. But you know, <laughs> that's besides the point. Yeah. But like those are kind of the hallmarks of, you know, 
you are stepping correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for long distance, that's like two mile and beyond, you know, um, hundred milers to two milers are going to have similar mechanics and it's going to be based on like a difference of, of length. Um, and so there you're getting into this heel to toe ish, mm-hmm. um, mechanism again, like the thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to tense up your leg so that you are striking your, um, the ground with your heel and almost a 90 degree angle with your foot to your leg. Um, yeah. What this does is it basically you're creating so much tension in the tendons and muscles around your foot that it cannot absorb the shock that you're putting into it. And then all that, you know, force is being taken out on your bones. And that is what's going to cause shin splints, which is a very notorious cross country injury. I've had, mm-hmm. um, I've had uh, I was unaware of actually how to properly run for most of my years across country. This in some part had to do with the fact that I was slower and larger anyway. So the attention paid to me in my running was way less than those of the people that were actually going to be competing at States, actually be doing good in competition, which, you know, I don't, I don't blame anyone for, (laughs) I understand, but it means I got less time and dedication for someone to go, Hey, you are slamming your heels into the ground because you're almost like clopping. Yeah. You're so exhausted because you're not breathing properly because you also don't have good foot placement that you are going, you're getting shin splints. And so I had shin splints eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, all because of this just relieving all of that exertion and pressure plus being on the heavier side. That's even more weight Yep. right into my shin. And for some people, it doesn't it won't hurt their shin it hurts their hip which yeah. is i'd argue worse maybe because that like if you fuck up your hip like um because i did yeah. <laughs> i did it so much so that i had to go to a chiropractor and they were like hey man like your uh, your hips not level <laughs> and he puts my feet up next to each other while i was laying flat and i i kid you not my the bottoms of my feet were one and a half inches apart. Like I was walking basically just unlevel (laughs) and it was such like crippling pain that sometimes like shock would go up my back. And all of this had to do with improper running technique on multiple different types of uh, surfaces, both um, padded dirt, gravel, asphalt, concrete, grass, anything, you know, all this stuff. And some of these have a little bit different, you know, like how you're going to handle them as much as how much you can really just slam into them and not feel it. You know, asphalt's a little less giving than dirt. So, you know. But more giving than concrete. Yes. Um, (laughs) And, like, there's a couple good, like, points that we can pull out of that story. Like, first off, if you do have shin splints, you generally don't want to exacerbate that issue because it will result in a fracture. Yep. Um, Also, if you do have shin splints and you let that heal properly, like, your bones will get stronger. Yep. So there are some people who have great running form, but they've never ran on something like concrete before. And so when they start running on concrete, it starts wearing down their shins and it starts, you know, just causing problems. Yep. And that's no fault to their own. It just means that you need to not run on concrete all the time. You need a more reserve to like 10 minutes of running on concrete, go run on other surfaces until you basically train up the resilience yeah and basically like make sure you're refueling your body with the things to fix these injuries yeah um there was something i was gonna add to that um 
Yeah, in re- in regard to that, uh, what is it? I think I think we need to explain explicitly what chin splints are. I don't think we've ever actually like like because that, when you say it can become a fracture, yeah. What shin splints are is a micro fracture in your shins. Yeah. Um, it can happen in like any bone, but they're like micro. It's almost like getting micro tears in your muscles to make them grow, but that isn't supposed to happen in bone. <laughs> so when it happens in bone, it hurts and it hurts a lot. Yeah. It hurts to walk. It hurts to stand. Um, it, it even hurts sometimes when you're laying down, depending on how bad your shin splints are. They can get pretty bad. Yep. And I definitely know that mine got pretty bad because I never addressed the issue. The, the The best thing I did for him was like got some of those Dr. Scholl's pads and still ran flat-footed. <laughs> I just did not understand. I was just like, and this got in my head. I was like, I must not be cut out for running. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Yep. You're a human. You got the same biomechanical systems that build you for long-distance running, um, and you just can't figure it out. So. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on real quick is you running should not make a crap ton of sound. Um, generally, the the reason why you would create a lot of sound while running is running flat-footed and putting too much force onto the ground. And both of these things will result in the shin splints and everything else yep. that we've talked about. Um, also, like it'll just tire you out quicker. You won't be able to run as far. Um, you've got force loss is what it is. Yeah. The more sound you make, the more force you're losing that could be used for propelling yourself. Yeah. So like if you want to look at, you know, what surface a beginner runner should probably be training on is dirt or grass. It, it would be what you would want to start out with and then transfer to like asphalt and then transfer over to concrete, mm-hmm. at least in the state of North Carolina. Certain states get really weird with their concrete and asphalt composition and some times i do know that like roads will be easier or harder to run on um compared to where you are where you live different things like that stuff i get to know as an engineer (laughs) and a good good uh another thing that's probably a good um middle ground in there is a track yeah Um, because with a track the ground is always the same so you can really like test if it is your form or if it is the surface you're running on whether or not like like in the case of like gravel Gravel, you're not going to avoid as much sound. You will, but not as much. Yeah. It's also like one of the things where uh, a good example of why you shouldn't make so much sound. And I know this isn't a bipedal example, but like deer, listen yeah. to animals run. And you'll notice the difference between animals that are built for uh, running, kind of like we are, as opposed to animals that are not built for running. Ex- good examples of non running animals is like, domesticated pigs and cattle yeah you know like when you listen to them run you're like that is a lot of (laughs) pounding and clopping noise yeah why because they're grazers they're they're you know they're domestic animals and even like wild boar in this case they clop a little bit but they you know when you think about it as far as nature goes like we don't have a whole lot of built-in defense mechanisms for other creatures Mm -hmm. So what we need to be able to do is to move quieter than other creatures. You see this with deer and, and, and animals like that. And we are not a whole lot different as far as being uh, able to defend ourselves with our own given uh, just abilities. You know? yeah. um, and then, you know, we've talked a lot about our feet 
and impacting the ground. But there's also another really important part of running, and that's your legs, you know? Um, the thing that moves your feet around a lot. And so this is also something that I see a lot of people um, either not know or mess up. And this can, you know, cause a trickle-down effect of, like, if you're not moving your legs properly, you're not going to hit the ground correctly and all these other things. And so, you know, when you think about running, um, there is this term called pose running that has been, like, getting ground. Uh, my CrossFit gym in Albemarle actually talked a lot about pose running. And basically the idea is is if you've ever done a high knee, you know, that's basically hinging your leg to to kick your butt without moving your knee a whole lot. Or sorry, that's a butt kick. It. High knee is bringing up your knee uh, to where it's basically forming a 90-degree angle. Um, and then the butt kick is hinging at your uh, knee to kick your butt with your heel. Your stride should be something in between. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a high knee and not quite a butt kick. You should be creating this kind of triangle um, with your knee as like the point and then your foot and your hip matching up alongside like your straight leg. Um, and again, your leg won't be perfectly straight. You don't ever really want to straighten out your leg for the same reason why you don't want to straighten out like your ankle or your foot. It's going to create a lot of tension while you're running. Yep. But... You're going to create kind of that triangle, and then that's going to allow you to have the time to kind of fall forward, and it's also going to be a very, like, natural movement. It's going to help you keep your momentum going forward as well. Yeah. Um, and so something that I've done to just work on that movement is to just start off with doing high knees and do butt kicks and then do um, a pretty cool drill, which is basically you stand straight up and you start to lean. And you keep leaning. And then you move once you feel like you have to. <laughs> you know, you move once you feel like you're about to fall down. Um, and so with that, you take your steps forward and you just keep in mind, you know, that kind of that um, not quite high knee, not quite butt kick. And you just go forward. And for me, that usually gets me off on a pretty good start for the way I need to move my legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since we're doing cardio, you know, one of the best ways of improving your cardio limits is doing repeats, you know, um, long runs have their place, but long runs are more for active recovery. They're more for impacting the other aspects of your fitness, uh, routine. Um, also long runs have really good mental benefits as well. Um, however, they're not usually the best for increasing anything other than like stamina, Yep. Um, and really reinforcing like breathing techniques yeah. and uh, just your, on top of that, again, mental health as far yeah. as like being able to force yourself to run for these long distance. Because one thing is, is you got to get used to the uncomfort. Yep. And that's, you know, that's just part of part of the whole running in any aspect, whether or not it be short distance or long distance, but long distance more especially. Yeah. And then, you know, the repeats are more like, repeats are going to be more like your sets. You know, if you want to increase your weight, you lift sets and you go, you know, six by six and we're going to do this. Repeats are a very similar thing for running. Um, You pick your distance. Usually if you're doing like a mile run, you want to do 800 meter repeats or 400 meter repeats. You want to do some type of uh, divisible number there and you want to keep that repeat 
ideally around the time of your goal split. So like if I want to do a six minute mile and I want to do repeats and let's say I do 800 meter repeats because I want to keep the math simple. That means that every 800 needs to be done in three minutes. Whether or not that's going to happen. Which as far as an 800 meter time goes, yeah. that is on the slower side. Yeah, it, right? it, it is a little slower. Um, it is a little slower, but one of the purposes is that train at the speed you will be going. Yeah. And potentially what could be even better is if you you can approach making something faster in smaller increments at these lower tiers to make sure that you're able to do it for short distance before you try giving yourself the opportunity to do it at a longer distance. Yeah, and if you give yourself only like a one-minute break, you're still training that speed pretty well, and you're bringing um, the ability to string that along. Mm -hmm. Because, like, let's say you do 800-meter repeats for four rounds. You know, that's a two miles covered, essentially, and if you can manage to do three minutes for all those 800s, all four of them, um, the odds of you being able to get pretty close to a six-minute mile is pretty high just because even though technically you're doing four 800s, that fourth 800 is really going to suck. Yep. And that's where you're getting a lot of your growth from is kind of depleting the tank and still being able to push. Right. And this is the same logic that goes into strength training where you do, you know, let's say five sets of five reps at the exact same weight, the set number four and set number one do not have the same form of like how hard that is. Yeah, That fourth set and that fifth set should be way harder than the first set. The first set should almost be easy. The first set should almost be easy. The second set and the third set should be right in uh, where you feel like you are having to push to do it and then the fourth and fifth should honestly potentially even be grueling if you're really, really trying. Yeah. Right. And these repeats also, in my opinion, do a lot to help um, you learn how to do recovery, mm-hmm. which I see a lot of people in the gym just not know how to recover. Like yeah. people will do a squat or a deadlift and then go sit down for their rest. And it's like, guys, what are you doing? Stand up. Your legs are going to seize. <laughs> like, um, Whenever I'm done with a repeat, I never, like, fall to the ground. I'm standing and I'm walking. Right. Um, And especially if, like, you're competing against other people and they see that you are standing and walking around and not sitting, you know, they might be a little demoralized or intimidated. Yep. And then you get to know, oh, well, this this is because I have to or else my legs will seize up. Yeah, because, uh, again, in that seated (sighs) position – worse blood flow that your body can get through your legs it has to take more bends around the knee to get blood to your lower you know lower leg and foot and when you're in that moving position not only are you increasing blood flow by moving you're also making it easier for it to flow because it's in the extended open position basically yeah and you're making sure that that lactic acid buildup is getting delayed yeah. Um, because the moment you stop moving if you've been doing something that's been really grueling or really intensive um, your your body's going to release a lactic acid. It's going to build up. Yep. You know that's just kind of you just part gotta, of the you delay response. It. And yeah. so you want to make sure that if you if your intent is to continue to do something, mm-hmm. you do not stop. Right. One hundred percent. Um. Now, when you are done, done, feel free to collapse. <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> yeah. You earned it. Yeah. It's like 
I finish a 5K on a rower or I finish a 5K run, you know that, you know, the finish line or wherever I was, I'll be like a couple feet off because I'm not an asshole, but I'm not moving. Nope. Not going to do it because, I mean, that's the goal of max effort and really trying with each of these things that you do, you know. You should always strive to be better every single time that you do these things. Either that or make something a little bit more solidified. Make something get a little bit easier to do. So, yeah. Do you want to add anything else? I think we've pretty much drilled everything that you can ever talk about when it comes to running. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Well, with that being said, we will see you guys next time. See you.